Welcome to the podcast where you eavesdrop into conversations between my friends and I on a weekly basis. My name is Lily Jo, I'm a singer, songwriter and I perform shows all over the world. I'm a qualified counsellor and an emotional wellbeing coach. You can also check out my award-winning online mental health resource, The Lily Jo Project. I know you will find gems of wisdom within the conversations that I have with my friends. Hopefully you'll find tools and resources that you can hold on to, try and test for yourself all around the important subject of mental health and personal development. I am so pleased to welcome you to today's episode of Eavesdrop. So on today's episode of Eavesdrop, I'm in conversation with Mari Stracker. Mari is originally from Germany, but now lives in London in the United Kingdom. Mari is a mental health activist who speaks congruently about her personal struggles and encourages other people to do the same. So thank you so much for joining me today, Mari. How are you today? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm having a good day, actually. That's worth noting. So yes, it's going well so far, despite the weather not being excellent. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, <laughs> not too bad. How are you today? Hey, so today I'm all right. I've had lots of Zoom calls today, so very busy. Um, yeah. But okay, I've had a refreshing weekend in Wales looking after my oh. self-care. So um, that was Where about? I went to uh, Anglesey. I have no idea where that is, although I lived three years in Wales, in Cardiff, so I possibly should know better, but I don't. Is it very green where you were, the like, it countryside? Was, it was green and sandy, best of both worlds. Amazing. Yeah, okay. so I did some, did some sea swimming for the first time in a while, which was lovely. Was that not cold? Well, I got a wetsuit. <gasps> the dream. I wow. know! So yes, I made but... I made a lifelong investment in a wetsuit, which means I have no excuse, so I can swim whenever <laughs> I want. <laughs> That's amazing, and particularly I guess the coast of uh, the United Kingdom has lots of opportunities to use it. So that's absolutely, great. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm not the best swimmer, but I read an article about how swimming, uh, wild swimming, is amazing for our mental health, and I thought, yeah. well. You know, got to practice what I preach. Let's get out yeah. there in the water. <laughs> and I think it is actually that connection with water, isn't it? It's the same when you walk in a forest. Mm. You suddenly are merged in that in, in nature and it feels like you're part of something bigger. And I feel like in the waves, you have that similar feeling. Mm. Yeah, I can totally see how mental health plays a big factor for swimming in the wild yeah. rather than in a pool. Absolutely. Yeah. It felt very freeing and just like I was a tiny part of a very big picture, you know, yeah. um, and it kind of makes you realize that the whole world doesn't revolve around you. And I yeah. think you're running your own charity and you're running your own business like I do. Sometimes it can feel like everything is very overwhelming. Um, but just being in the sea was like, ah, oh, do you know what? I'm free here. I can yeah. just be, and it's cold, but it's lovely. And, um, and the sea always goes on. It does its things. Waves come and go. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many amazing parallels that you can draw from being out in nature, isn't there? So definitely loved enhancing my well-being with that this weekend. And you know that feeling when you're like 
tired but like good tired like you feel like you've really breathed and you've really lived it was that kind of feeling so super super lovely so thanks for asking but that is how I am (laughs) that has actually given me some energy just listening to it envisioning Mm. myself in the way because that's the power of the mental uh, capabilities isn't it that we can imagine actually for a few minutes to swim somewhere and it you know gives us recharges us Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your story. Tell me about your mental health journey. Obviously, you are a mental health advocate and you're all about spreading the word and spreading the love. And that's so encouraging. And I know it's going to be really helpful for some of the listeners today. So can you tell us about your journey, how it began and why you do what you do and just that background of of who you are, please? That'd be lovely. Yes. Um, I'll try and go not too much into detail because it's obviously a long story um, because mental health, I mean, it's with us from birth, really. (laughs) Um, But for me, the moment where I started speaking openly about it was when um, a very close member of my family tried to commit suicide in a very graphic, intense way. um, And she survived it. She was very, very lucky uh, that a helicopter came very quickly and, and got her and 18 operations later, um, she she was okay. Um, and um, obviously it's a miracle that, that goes without saying, but I try not talk too much about her journey because that's really her story to tell. And my story is of the relative who realized that we as a family had made the mental illness, depression, I don't want to say so much worse because in itself it is, you know, it is depression. It can be fatal like any other disease, like cancer can be fatal. And that's how I view depression. But at that time, I think my family wasn't aware of the things we could have done to help, which is not sweeping things under the carpet and hoping that it'll just go away by itself. Um, And you learn that very quickly when you'll find yourself uh, in the waiting room of intensive care and you have a lot of time suddenly as a family together where you cannot ignore why you are there in the Mm. first place. Mm. So that was when I started um, speaking out about that experience. Uh, more publicly on Instagram and also because in the course of the year and a half that followed and and her recovery and my my involvement in that um, I recognized my own signs of depression and anxiety because I think you need some kind of point of reference in order to realize that oh I'm not just sad this Mm. is going beyond Um, what I can carry and how I can function normally Um, so reaching out for help for myself was then sort of a result of that um, that experience and then in 2017 and this is probably like the biggest part of my story and what I um, tend to share the most because it is my story um, I was uh, witnessing um, a very Mm, violent knife crime in in London um, that involved my friend um, getting stabbed and it's just there are no words to really describe how horrible that is Um, and 
luckily again miracles happened he survived as well and again that's his story but for me then life began with uh, post-traumatic uh, stress disorder because um, that turns out to be a very real thing and it doesn't matter how much you know about mental health before that um, I thought I could maybe outsmart it and you know go right back to the park with my dog where it all happened the next day because I thought nah I'm not gonna let fear fester here I'm not gonna have this person take this park away from me my local most cherished place that I go to to relax but there there is no such thing as outsmarting trauma unfortunately it doesn't work like that mm. um, and when you're in it you really don't see the trees for the woods it's that kind of thing that you suddenly find yourself um, in hmm, I don't want to say a disorder because I have some issues with with those terms as well because disorder always means like you were in order before and then suddenly you're in disarray and you know you can't trust your decisions and so and society can't trust your decisions as well because you're disordered mm. so I don't you know there there are quite a few veterans who prefer um, post-traumatic stress injury mm. because it helps them to to view it as not something that they did but that happened to them so yeah I talk a lot about that basically mm. that's that's the journey in a nutshell um, and I share the struggles as much as the coping mechanisms um, sometimes I manage to do better sometimes I don't have the right words either because it is hard mm. um, and I also recognize that it's not for everybody to to be so open so I get um some praise when people say oh you're so brave you're talking about all these like really deep things and I have to just stress that to me it comes quite natural it, it's and I really understand that for most people it doesn't and it is a difficult thing so I don't expect people to walk around and share their most you know vulnerable spots with the world but it so happens that I can do it and mm -hmm. um, yeah so I try and use my oversharing gifts <laughs> for good I suppose that's amazing and I'm first of all you know so sorry to hear what happened in your family and so sorry to hear about the attack and things it's just heartbreaking and I think it's interesting really because life it just no matter how much we try and make it perfect it's just not perfect is it and it's just can be really difficult at times and you know that whole thing of one in four adults in the UK struggle with their mental health at some point in their adult life like you said things happen to us and then we have to respond to that and whether we've got resilience or not we just have to find a way of working through these things and getting through it and it sounds like you've got um, a lot of resilience and a lot of strength um, and I guess that's a different word to being brave um, but that you are resilient and that you have been able to bounce back when things have been really difficult for you and now use your voice to share that experience with other people and I think that's really powerful so oh, thank you yeah so well done you for that and just something you said before um about kind of cancer and things and having a cancer diagnosis and we kind of can come to terms with that whereas with a depression diagnosis we're, we're a little bit more kind of unsure of how to respond to that and I think it is interesting isn't it I have a lot of clients that I work with in the counseling room who are really reluctant to taking medication for their mental health um even though like on my scoring questionnaires they might be scoring super high for anxiety super 
super high for depression. And I'll challenge that and I'll say, you know, over the last few weeks, you have been um, scoring highly in the area of depression and anxiety. Maybe it's time that we have a little chat with the GP and, and see if medication could be of use to you. Not everyone yeah. believes in it, obviously. And that's the thing. That's the stigma. Um and they'll say, well, you know, I'm okay. I think I'll just try again on my own for a little bit longer. And it's like, but if I was diagnosing you with cancer, would you say, oh, no, sorry, I'm not going to go for the chemotherapy. I'll just try it on my own and see if it just disappears. You would probably more than likely accept help and accept medication and work towards finding your healing where best possible and do everything you can to try and fight the cancer. So I think, yeah. Um, with mental health it's very different isn't it it's very much like well I'll just try or I should be okay or I'll I ought to be better or I should be able to handle this on my own when actually sometimes we just need that whole support base we need friends we need self-care we need maybe medication we need to do things that make us feel better so there's still a lot of work to do isn't there about kind of eliminating that stigma yes oh absolutely and I think the stigma is just what makes it so much harder on top of everything else because I feel it is already quite hard to reach out for help Mm. Um, and we are lucky in the sense that we live in a country where healthcare is to an extent quite accessible Mm. and I say to an extent because it it really depends on your community Mm. and it also depends on um, well the hurdles that you have to overcome in terms of getting to psychological help because we know it's it's crowded the waiting list is long yeah. um so i i always feel like as much as i love the nhs and and the seemingly accessibility of it all i think it's problematic that for somebody who's already in a, an episode of depression anything is hard Getting out of bed is really hard. And I feel like a lot of people who haven't experienced it don't quite understand that it's not about, oh, I want to have a lion, I can't get, I'm so sleepy, I can't get up, blah, blah. Mm. It's, it's just this delib- debilitating sense of, I, I can't do mm. anything. Mm. And to then go through these, you know, like you say, the questionnaires, the phone calls, and I understand why there needs to be a system, like logically, absolutely. Mm. But I just feel like I wish there was infinite funding <laughs> so we can make sure that that those people who go through such a difficult time and are probably at the end of what, what they can manage themselves mm. on the last leg and they are reaching out, that is then like, okay, let's get you some, some help quickly. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, in an ideal world and I obviously understand, you know, why it isn't like that at the moment. Yeah, but that and stigma uh, is, I think, are the two big factors that yeah. I see um, where we could reform things if yeah. if we had more awareness and more funding and and yeah. all of that. If somebody's listening today and they feel like you described, you know, they feel like I can't get out of bed in the morning and this has been going on for a, a week or two. What would you say is the first thing they should do or that would help? You know, if it's just one one thing, what would you suggest? Um, Well, first of all, I think that it's difficult to answer because everybody is so individual. And coming from a trauma perspective, 
yeah. where you have all kinds of emotions and reactions that everyone outside you doesn't get. That's mm-hmm. the difficulty about, about trauma from, from my perspective. Um, so it's hard to give like, okay, do this and you'll be fine. Because there isn't such thing. And you know this as well, even with, with medication. Yeah. You can't just go like, take this pill and you'll be fine. You probably won't be fine tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But to really mm, repeat this, this mantra again, not a new sentence, this too shall pass. We've all heard it probably before, but is it is that simple? I think in those moments you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You don't even see the tunnel. You just you're just engulfed in Mm. in darkness. Yeah. But to really think from one second to the next, rather than okay, what do I have to do today? What do I have to do this week? It doesn't matter. Your only purpose right now is to get through the next three seconds and then another three seconds and then another three seconds. Mm-hmm. And each of that seconds that you're alive and here is an achievement mm-hmm. when you go through any of, of the mental health issues, I think. Mm-hmm. So to really um, chip it down to, to its most basic, I'm in survival mode right now. Yes. I can't expect anything higher than that. Like it's it's sheer survival mode and I think a lot of people during the pandemic have learned that emotion as well but like no 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 you, you don't expect your normal stuff from you because you won't be able to to achieve that yeah. it is not normal times so mm-hmm. cut yourself some slack mm-hmm. um and I think yeah doing these kind of bite size okay right if I can sit up Maybe I could my, put my legs outside of the bed and I can feel the ground underneath my feet. And maybe I can actually stand up for a moment. doesn't have to be long, but just standing for a moment mm. and do it in those kind of rudimentary steps mm. rather than thinking, well, now I must get up. I must get showered. I must have breakfast. Mm. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing for me personally that has helped me when I managed to do it. Mm. And I will by no means claim that I have always, even those small things, it doesn't always work. Um, And I guess the other thing as well is if you have somebody you can call, have them on speed dial Mm -hmm. and and trust that hopefully the person on the other line is is just going to be there with you Mm -hmm. because it takes that loneliness away, that, that kind of what am I doing with my life? Why is this not, you know, this whole we question everything when we're alone. Mm. We don't do that so much when there is like, I guess that's why we also have therapy. When there's someone in the room with us, something works differently. Yeah. How we view things. Yeah. I love that. So you gave us three T. <laughs> We've got this too shall pass. That's number one T. Number two T, three seconds at a time. And number three, talk to a friend. The three T's by Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I also totally resonate with what you said. Often people will say to me, what should I do with this? What should I do with that? What are your top tips for this, that, and the other? And again, I feel the same overwhelm of like, I can't give you the answers. Everybody is individual and everybody needs different things. But I think what you've said there is absolutely brilliant you know, this too shall pass. And when you said that, I got goosebumps because actually it's so true. Like I always talk about the seasons and like, you know, obviously in the UK here, we have these terrible dark winters. And as we're going through those terrible dark winters, 
I always hold on to the fact that at some point we will get the springtime and then yeah. we will get the summertime and it will pass. So I love yeah. that. This too shall pass. Also, three seconds at a time, just just be present, be in this moment, three seconds at a time. You don't have to plan out the whole day, just bite-sized chunks and then talk to someone, have somebody on standby that you can just call if you need to. I think that's really, really important. So thanks for that. (laughs) Amazing. So self-care, we're talking about self-care today. What are your things that you love to do in order to keep yourself sort of topped up and emotionally well what are your self-care practices okay I always feel a little bit weird when I answer this because (laughs) I have not mastered Mm. mental wellness and that's I think really important to say I am not somebody who can now say hey I do this in the morning, I do five handstands and then I do two hours of yoga and drink like some weird mixture of lots of herbs and then I'm, I'm fine for the day. It unfortunately doesn't work like that for me. I'm sure it works for some people, but for me, it's all about remembering or reminding myself to check in um, because um, the maintenance of my mental wellness routine is the first thing when I'm okay that I forget about. Mm. It's the first thing. If, if I have good days, I forget that I need to sometimes slow down, that I need to do my breathing exercises. Mm. Um, like I do this square breathing. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, you know it. So uh, square breathing is, um, you, you can envision a square. I suppose that's where the name comes from. Um, and then you uh, inhale four seconds. You hold it for four seconds, you exhale four seconds, and then you hold it again for four seconds. And you repeat that like a square going round. Um, of course, it can be uh, less or longer than four seconds, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, and I find that that really helps me to um, break any kind of panic attack thing, looming panic attack. It's all about recognizing when one strikes early. So that's one of the breathing um, exercises that I frequently will do. But as I said earlier, the problem really with my mental well-being is that I have to be rigorous when I'm well. So what you're saying is that you can use square breathing in an emergency if you are Mm -hmm. feeling a panic attack coming on or if you have a flashback. But when you're feeling well, you don't necessarily use it. And then it's a catch 22. So it's about practicing this breathing techniques, meditation, being mindful daily, whether you feel well or not well. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I I call it sort of the maintenance of my uh, well-being. And the maintenance team often gets forgotten in the cupboard. Um, (laughs) Just because when, when you're having good days, why, why would you want to remind yourself that actually you have quite a few bad days as well and you need to be prepared for them? Um, but it is, I think, for me personally, the key, the consistency. Um, and I can feel when I am more slagging, sla- slagging, slacking, um, English language, not my first language, <laughs> but I'm more slacking with it because when it then goes down, it goes down a lot harder. Mm. Um, mm. And Actually, another thing, um, particularly for people who suffer from anxiety and panic disorders that I have found helpful is I carry a stone with me 
So it's a little stone. So I went to Brighton and collected lots of stones, yeah. a whole bag full of them. And um, I have a big uh, jar of them by the door. So when I leave the house, I take one of these little stones and I have it in my pocket and it gives me something to hold on to. And when I then feel, oh, something isn't you know quite right. And for me, that can be just somebody coming too close to me in the street. And obviously in London, that happens a lot because I seem to have this invisible line of um, fear. When you cross it, I'll get very scared and jumpy and mm-hmm. it triggers that, that response. And um, I then grab my stone and I breathe into it. So I do like three breaths mm-hmm. into the stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps me because it externalizes the fear mm-hmm. because I feel like I'm putting this anxiety into the stone but it also breaks my breathing pattern. Mm-hmm. So again, breath is a big thing for me. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's hugely underused. And I think we should teach it to people at school yeah. from an early age that breath is something you can use to your advantage. And we just do it subconsciously all the time. If we drew a little bit more attention to it, I think we get a lot out of it. So that's my little stone thing. And when I then have reached my destination or I come back home, I dispose of the stone before I go inside. Uh-huh. So for me, it's that, you know, I've, I've dealt with this, this fear. I've put it somewhere else and I'm leaving it behind. I'm not taking it with me. Mm, I love that. So it's very ritualistic, isn't it? Yeah. And that's what's really important, isn't it? Creating rituals around things help to help to, to leave things compartmentalized is what I'm trying to find the word exactly compartmentalize uh your world so going out take the stone good you've got that there as a backup if you need it if you need it breathe into it when you get home dispose of it I love that that's a brilliant tip and sometimes I forget about the stone as well so because I also had this when I started doing this somebody recommended to me to to try this um because then you also feel like you have some control because you're prepared but I was a little bit worried that I would then create this dependency on the stone. What if at some point I can't leave the house without the stone? So I'm very mindful that um, I'm using it as a, as, as a tool when it serves me, but then that I'm also aware of, I can also function without the stone. Right. Right. Fine balance. And I think yeah. balance is created by the awareness yeah. about it. Yeah. I love that. That is absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing these things. So just a final question for you, really. Um, I know that you make lots of films and um, you're very creative. And I know that creativity is a really important factor in having positive well-being. So how do you find personally creativity um, contributes positively to your well-being and how you feel? Well, for me, that's definitely um, the writing aspect of things. Mm. Putting words down on paper helps me to, um, how can I say, to order my thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's all messy up there. It's, it's chaotic and it's very hard to detangle my own emotions. But when I try and write down how I feel, and I often do it um, in the posts, I then actually post on, post on Instagram, um, it helps me to, again, externalize it and to look at it from an outsider perspective mm. rather than being in the storm. You know, mm. I can watch the storm and say, oh, okay, well, that's what that looks like, but I'm over here and I'm not in it. 
And I think for that, um, I'm very grateful that I have the writing tool um, and I have my creativity in that sense and I can channel it into something that I also feel is useful for other people so that they don't feel as alone. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole thing that keeps me going with my Instagram blog, um, the feedback that you get about just the um, community side of it, that once I put out there that I'm feeling this particular way or that a panic attack feels like that, um, someone else reads it and, and feels like, oh, well, that's not just me. Okay, that's, I thought it was just me, the only uh, hugely dysfunctional person on the planet. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's two of us, you know, and then it's another person who says, well, me too, actually, then it's three, four. And so it builds the sense of like, actually, this is something so normal. Mm. Um, and you're not alone with it. And so there are ways to to seek help. But in that moment, I think already, when you feel you're part of, of a group of people, you're not going to spiral that low. Mm -hmm. And there's like sort of a, a safety net, even in, in numbers, if you will, um, yeah. for that one. Um, Amazing. But yeah, so yeah, creativity plays a huge part in, in my well-being, mm. for sure. Brilliant. So if people out there are listening today and they want to join this community and they're saying, me too, yeah. um, where can they find you? They can mostly find me on Instagram, just with my name. I'm very approachable through direct messaging um, and I connect other people as well. Right. So um, yeah, reach out there and I'm happy to connect. Amazing. And we'll put all the links in the podcast description as well so people can find you nice and easily. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been really lovely to hear your story. And thank you for sharing that and being so open and honest about your struggles, because, yes, it brings so much freedom to other people who are going through that. And that's what's really important. We're all in this together. Um, yeah. One of us are perfect. One in four of us will struggle, as I said at the beginning, at some point. So we might as well prepare ourselves and build the best tools that we can find and put them in our toolbox. Some, some of those tools you've shared today have been really, really powerful. So hopefully if you're listening and um, you've enjoyed this episode, please go give Mary Stacker a follow because she's brilliant. And also um, you can like and subscribe this podcast here. So thanks for your time, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that we can connect a little bit more over the next few months. Yes, please. Amazing. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please be sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling generous, why not share with your friends? Please check the description box below for extra links and further information to some of the topics discussed in today's episode. Also, you'll find information about what's coming next. For further information, top tips and advice on all kinds of mental health issues, including low mood, anxiety, self-harm, eating disorders and more, please do check out www.thelilyjoeproject.com. You can find my music across all digital platforms, including Spotify and iTunes. See you next time.